on the air and streaming on the web since 1996. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Hello, my name is Jason Drury and welcome to part one of a Cinematic Sound Radio Network interview special. Dr. Robert Falk is an American film and television composer and conductor who is a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and the American Society of Composers, Authors and Publishers. He is a graduate and former faculty member of the famed Juilliard School in New York City. Since completing his doctorate, Falk has composed and conducted the musical scores for over 70 feature films. Extensive credits include Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, Tremors, A Never-Ending Story 2, The Next Chapter, Toy Soldiers, Police Academy, and most recently, Elephant White, Fair Be Dragons, and Silent Life. Robert Falk has worked with many top filmmakers, including Roland Joffe, Steve Alderkirk, George Gallow, Don Petrie Jr., Gary Sinise, Hugh Wilson, Don Bluth, Jean Kataro, Juan Underwood, and Gale and Hurd, to name just a few. Falk has also composed and conducted numerous concert works, including symphonic, vocal, and chamber music compositions. Robert Falk is also a prolific songwriter and producer and has conducted prominent orchestras including the London Symphony Orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the Berlin Radio Orchestra, the Munich Symphony, the Dublin Symphony Orchestra, the Moscow Symphony Orchestra and the Symphonia of London. In recent years, Robert Falk has also been executive producing films, partnering with his extensive network of filmmakers on projects but he's also attached as composer. In February 2021 for the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, I had the sincere pleasure of talking to Robert Falk via Zoom at his home in Beverly Hills, California. In part one of this two-part interview special, we talk about how he got into film and TV music, working on the numerous sequels that the composer has scored, and how it came about him working on the Police Academy series of films. Also, in both parts of his special, 
you'll be hearing loads of the wonderful and at times exciting music that this legendary composer has curated during his illustrious career. Robert Folk, how did your interest in music start? Uh, well, that's a that's a question that a lot of people ask, of course. There was quite a bit of music in my family, you know, lots of record playing back in those days. And my parents, uh, they listened to a lot of orchestral music, Broadway show music, and popular music of the day. And so I was, I was saturated with this stuff. But the thing that really got me hooked, as many people know, was the British invasion of all the great British rock bands. So I would have been probably about 12 or 13 years old when when all that music started making its way over to the United States. And it absolutely caught my attention in a, in a big, big way. And when you finally had the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, along with probably tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people around the world saw that show and it, and it was like an explosion. So as a, as a young kid, hearing that music and seeing those bands, I wanted to be that. So shortly thereafter, I, I uh, started working harder on, on guitar playing, light keyboard playing, that sort of thing. So it, it was a bit of a late start. Many people who study at places like the Royal Academy, or, or in my case, the Juilliard School. Many folks are real child prodigies, but that was not my case. I, I sort of came to music as a young kid, but not as a two or three-year-old. So that's really what caught my attention. And I started playing and really studying, got a teacher, advanced pretty quickly, and then set my sight on playing in rock bands and I was living up in the Boston area at the time in Massachusetts. So that's where I really got my start first uh, performing and songwriting for various bands up in the Boston area. When did you decide to enter the world of film and TV music? Well that came quite a bit later. I played and toured with a, a number of bands in Boston. At the age of about 19, I moved back to New York where I was born with the intent of studying more formally, really learning something about real serious music more than just playing in bands and whatnot. So I, I moved to New York. I studied privately with a number of uh, Juilliard professors with the intent of trying to get into the school. A couple of years later, I did get admitted to Juilliard and it began a 10-year uh, stay at the school where I earned my uh, bachelor's, master's, and, and doctorate and ended up teaching at Juilliard. 
And while I was at the school, um, I was giving quite a few concerts of my music around New York City. And one particular concert was attended by a director who knew of my work because his son was a, a music student of mine. Now, that director uh, approached me and said, hey, I've got this film. It's a an IMAX film, like a big production about the uh, Smithsonian Institute and a, a project that they're doing which focused on the planets and Earth in the solar system, et cetera, et cetera. That was the, the nature of that film. And he said to me, look, if you score this movie, we're going to hire the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra to record the score. So at the time, I was probably 25, 26 years old. And that was the most exciting thing that had really come my way. So even though I hadn't thought about working in film, and I had no background in it, this invitation was something that I, that I could not pass up. The film was called Planets. Again, it was an IMAX film, pretty big budget. And for a young student, that was a pretty exciting assignment. So it gave me the chance to go to London to write a score and conduct a world-class orchestra at a pretty young age. And it really triggered my uh, interest in film. I, I really had not thought about being a film composer up until this point. I envisioned myself staying at Lincoln Center where the Juilliard School is, uh, teaching there because I was a faculty member, working for uh, commissions and uh, competitions in the uh, classical music or the concert music world. And, and I thought, you know, that would be a, a great and long career as a number of the faculty members there were in their 80s, even in their 90s. So I thought this will be a great home for me for the next decades and decades. But just at the very last minute, as I was getting close to finishing school, I did this movie and it triggered an interest in me that led me to come out to California a few years later and see what might develop. So that was really my first experience.
That was music from the IMAX film Planets, performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, with original music composed and conducted by my guest today, Robert Falk. Yeah, that score was recorded at the old CTS with John Richards Engineering. So my first recording, I had one of the greatest engineers in the world. Lucky to have John with me on that. Now, Robert, you worked on a number of TV series during the early part of your career. Series such as Fantasy Island, Knots Landing, Heart to Heart and Falcon Crest. How much did you learn in terms of your scoring technique working on those series? Well, I had a composer friend, one of the first composers I met when I arrived in Los Angeles, which was um, 1980. And uh, you'll know him, of course, it's Mark Snow. So I met Mark and Mark really liked my work and he was doing a tremendous amount of television. And there was so much television that he was doing that he just couldn't do all of it. So he introduced me to his manager. So we were being represented at the same place. So whenever Mark didn't want to do a show, he'd call up our manager And he'd say, hey, look, check in with Rob, see if he wants to score, you know, this episode of Falcon Crest or this episode of Dallas or whatever the show was, Heart to Heart, you know, all those shows that Mark used to work on. And so it it was good training for me because I had never done television. In those days, we had a pretty good orchestra. We'd probably have maybe um, anywhere between 35 and 50 musicians over at either on the Fox stage or the Sony stage or the Warner Brothers stage. Those were the three, the three stages we used to record those shows on. Fortunately, those stages are, are still with us here in LA, even though many of the other ones have closed. So um, I worked on a number of those shows. Additionally, a little bit later on, I worked for uh, an actor friend of mine named Robert Conrad, and he would hire me 
to do an entire shows um, where, where I was the, the only composer, where we would do 22 episodes per season back in those days. So the, the thing that it taught me, I think, was to move quickly because you've got a show every week. You've got to write anywhere between, let's say, 30 minutes and, and 45 minutes for an hour-long show. And that's a lot to write and to arrange, orchestrate, go in and record, conduct, and then start over again. So I, I think that's, that's the big thing that you learn in television. Uh, at least it was for me. And then in the early 80s, you moved on into feature films. One of your earliest scores is the first of the series I think your music is best known for, the Police Academy series. We started in 1983. How did working on the original film come about and what originally attracted you to the project? Uh, Police Academy was, I think, 83, 84, something like that. I had been in town for about three years. I arrived here in Los Angeles in 1980. Early on, I met Lionel Newman over at 20th Century Fox. He was the president of music over there. Of course, Lionel comes from the claimed Newman family and was a brilliant composer, arranger, conductor, and head of the department. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend. And when I met him, I went over to Fox, over to his office there. And the, the very first meeting with Lionel Newman, lo and behold, he had John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith with him in the office. He was kind enough to introduce me to those two major giants of, of our uh, industry. All of this led to my name getting around a little bit around town. You know, after uh, working with Lionel, he offered me an early film. Uh, but before all of that, um, my name through Lionel became known a little bit at Warner Brothers. And I did a small feature for them. It was probably, I guess it was my second studio film after working with Lionel. It was called Purple Hearts. It was a Vietnam War film. That film, being at Warner Brothers with the Lad Company, as, as they were known then, introduced me to the same team that were behind Police Academy. Uh, so Laddie, as he was known, uh, Alan Ladd Jr., who was the president of the Lad Company and who had been president of Fox at one time, he liked very much my score for Purple Hearts. He also had a young protege who also became familiar with my music. That's John Goldwyn, who later became head of Paramount and a very well-known, illustrious producer on his own. He also took a real liking to my score for Purple Hearts. So as they were producing Police Academy, they were pursuing Elmer Bernstein. They really wanted Elmer. And so they had tempted a bunch of his music into the early Police Academy rough project that they were about to start marketing previews for. So Elmer had more or less said, yes, I'll do it. I guess he saw the film, was interested in it. He had been doing a number of these films, you know, such as Airplane and whatnot, you know, these comedies that he would write these brilliant kind of dramatic tongue-in-cheek scores for. So it looked like he was going to do it. And yet I had a little bit of interest from some of the other folks over there at the Lad Company. Suddenly he dropped out because of a schedule change. And I guess I was sort of second on their radar 
from having done Purple Hearts. And they set up a meeting for me with Paul Meslansky, uh, the producer and pretty much the creator of the show in, in, in the sense of the concept of Police Academy. Meslansky, I believe, was the first guy to sort of think of the idea and then work with writers to develop it into, into a script. So that's how I was introduced to the project. I met with that team. Uh, they liked my work. I sent them a bunch of other material that I had from uh, Juilliard days. I sent them a recording that I'd done for Lionel Newman at Fox of a, of a film called Savage Harvest, not in their genre, but something that was a, a brand new recording that was recorded in London with the uh, National Philharmonic. They liked all of that stuff and they asked me, well, do you think you could write a really good, strong march with a really strong theme in it? And I said, I think I can do that. I said, I, I come from a, a family with a lot of military history and I know all the marches and I know how they're constructed. I know that style really well. And so with that, they, they said, well, you know what? You're on. So they contacted my then agent. So we, we put together an agreement and we were off and running. And the first thing I did write was that very uh, well-known Police Academy theme that still conjures up a lot of interest around the world. In fact, I about a year ago, I did a concert in Malaga. And one of the suites that we did was the Police Academy suite. So uh, it, it was quite a hit over there in Spain. So the, the story continues all these years later with Police Academy.
then that was music from the 1983 comedy film Police Academy, directed by Hugh Wilson and starring Steve Guttenberg, G.W. Bailey, Kim Cattrall, Bubba Smith and George Gaines, with original score composed and conducted by my guest today, Robert Falk. Now, Robert, how did you see working on a Police Academy films in terms of your career progression? Well, it was my, I guess you'd say it was the particular film that brought me worldwide attention. So I think that's the most important thing that Police Academy did for me was to put my name out there, made my name very prominent, especially here in Los Angeles, where it was recorded and what was really the home of the birth of that film. So right away, I started getting quite a lot of of studio film offers upon the release of Police Academy. So that's really the most important thing it did for me. Probably the thing that It also did for me, which was challenging, which was to typecast me a bit in the comedy genre. I started getting a lot of comedy offers. A lot of those films did very well. So you you get a number of comedies that were successful at the box office. It's going to keep those kind of projects coming to you. So one of the challenges for me in the 80s after Police Academy was to try as hard as I could to work in other genres. So I made an effort to do action films, fantasy films, science fiction films, romantic pictures, dramas, etc., to try and have a much more eclectic career. And I think I succeeded largely, but Police Academy always kept the comedies coming for quite a number of years. Now, you've worked on a fair number of film sequels in your career. How do you go about scoring sequels? And do you try to incorporate music from the first film, which has been scored by a different composer, to create continuity in your work? For me, the... The sequels that I did, the ones that come to mind, Never Ending Story, The Beastmaster, The Lawnmower Man, uh, those sort of films. I, of course, looked at the, the first installment of each of those films, and I tried to absorb a certain stylistic approach from them. But I chose to write my own themes in each case. So I I think the first film that I did that was a sequel may have been The Beastmaster, as an example. I, uh, I created my own themes, but I tried to stay, you know, a little bit in the genre as far as what was it Lee Holdridge, I believe, that wrote the first Beastmaster. Tried to stay with that concept and with that size orchestra. So in, in that case, Beastmaster was recorded in um, Germany. And we had, I believe, maybe 96 players in that orchestra. So we had a really big, rich orchestra to work with. I tried to stay with that style, but just develop my own themes. And that was the same with Lawnmower Man sequel and with Neverending Story as well.
and that was the 1992 fantasy adventure sequel Beastmaster 2 through the portal of time directed by Silvio Tabet and starring Mark Singer, Sarah Douglas and Wings Hauser with original score performed by the Berlin Radio Concert Orchestra and composed and conducted by my guest today Robert Falk. Now Robert in 1990, you composed an uncredited part replacement score for the film Tremors. Can you tell us the circumstances of how that came about? Oh, with Tremors, I had a manager at the time who represented Alan Silvestri and um, Dave Newman, Christopher Young, Bill Ross. I think that was our little group. And he knew very well James Cameron because he had worked with, with Al Silvestri with Cameron. And he also knew Cameron's uh, uh, one-time wife, Gail Ann Hurd, a very powerful producer here in Los Angeles. So Gail and Larry started talking about Tremors because they had done a preview of the film and they had decided they needed to add some very powerful, very aggressive action adventure writing, and also to support the creatures, to give them power, strength, the element of fear, these sort of things. And they felt that even though the, the earlier score was very effective and covered a lot of ground, they just felt they needed to really boost this aspect of the movie. So they approached me through my manager and I had a meeting with Gail Ann Hurd and she liked my approach and my ideas about Tremors. They, they had given me a video of the film and they decided to bring me on. And at first it seemed like I'd have a proper amount of time, maybe four or five, six weeks, but just as I started writing, the studio announced they had moved the release date up. So I really only had about three weeks to do it. Really, the assignment became write as much music as you can in three weeks. So that was very daunting, that idea, because I didn't even have elements and materials developed yet. So what I had to do was to bring really quite a team of orchestrators together, which was not really the way I usually work. I usually orchestrate a lot on my own, sometimes all on my own, or maybe I'd have one orchestrator or maybe two. But in this case, I think I had maybe eight orchestrators. And I set about writing the creature music, the music of the desert, all the action sequence elements, developing textures, rhythms, motifs. We hired a really big orchestra and recorded over on the, the Sony stage, which is still here in Los Angeles. It turned out to be one of the hardest projects I ever worked on because of that schedule, but a lot of fun, a, a, really a fun movie. You know, people often ask, well, gee, why, didn't, why isn't your name on that movie, you know, technically? And the truth is that there was a contract in place which stipulated that 
if any of the original score was used in the film, that the composer would have sole credit in terms of main title credit. So my manager and I, we decided we didn't want to have just an end credit. So we decided not to take credit on the film. That's how that all came about. So, I mean, of course, it, you'll see a reference to my name on the, on the newly released DVD that's just come out or on IMDb, those sort of things. And, and most people in the industry are aware of my, my contribution to the film. In fact, of the music that I wrote, which I think, I don't recall how many minutes it was, you know, maybe it was 30 minutes, 35 minutes, I'm not sure. Nevertheless, they kept retracking it in different positions in the film. So I think there's, I'm very well represented in the film, probably over 50% of the music in the film was tracked using the recordings that we did um, over on the old Sony stage there. But that was a really fun film and got a chance to work with Gail. Um, James Cameron came over to one of the sessions, which was really exciting. And um, uh, I only have good memories about it.
and that was a selection of cues from the partial replacement score for the 1990 science fiction horror adventure Tremors, directed by Ron Underwood and starring Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, with the music composed and conducted by my guest today, Robert Falk. Now, Robert, in 1991, you scored the action-adventure film Toy Soldiers. Now, one cue from that film, Rienda Calais, has been used on numerous film trailers since. What do you think of a trailer using your music from other films in their marketing campaign? And what do you think of the use of your music on other films' marketing? You know, for me, it's actually exciting because it just gets my music out there in a very big way because, you know, marketing campaigns oftentimes reach a worldwide audience with many plays, you know, when, when you've got a really good movie trailer and it's all over network television here in the United States and then filters out worldwide to every country. That's actually pretty exciting. And in some cases, it's also been quite lucrative because on several occasions, music of mine has been used in in big major trailers without permission and lawsuits have ensued. And although I've never filed those suits myself, it's usually been by studios or publishing companies or labels or what have you. I've been the uh, beneficiary of some of these attempts to make things right. So in a way, it's kind of been a little bonus, a little secret bank account on the side. So I'm not opposed to it. I've actually enjoyed seeing the use of it. There was only one time when I was a bit bothered by it when I think it was the main title opening of Toy Soldiers. There was a re-recording done of it and not a very good one. My guess is it was primarily a sampled recording enhanced with smaller live orchestral elements. And the minute I heard it, oh, there's Toy Soldiers. Oh, but something's wrong. And it was the recording itself was really not the the great recording that we got out of uh, Dublin. But I have no problem with it. If, If you want to use my music to promote a film worldwide, um, I'm fine with it.
That was the end of Callie to the 1991 adventure film Toy Soldiers, directed by Daniel Petrie Jr. and starring Sean Astin, Will Wheaton, Denham Elliott and Lou Gossett Jr. with original score performed by the Irish Film Orchestras and composed and conducted by my guest today, Robert Falk. Now Robert, you have worked on a number of animation films during your career, particularly with Don Bluth. In your opinion, what is the difference between scoring for animation compared to live action? Well, first of all, it's a tremendous amount of work for lots of reasons. There's, there, there's just a lot of activity in animated films. And the music is there to support that activity that you see on screen. There's there's really, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of synchronization of musical events. And it invariably ends up being a lot of notes, a lot of writing. Also, wall-to-wall music. Of the three films that I did in that genre, one of them is called The, the Thief and the Cobbler, which was a Miramax film. It also had a couple of other titles, depending on where it was released. And then the two films I did with Don Bluth, uh, Rockadoodle and Troll in Central Park. A uh, lot of music in, in all those movies. If it's a 95 minute movie, there's probably about 90 minutes of music in it. That's the way that works. So I, I found those to be some of the most challenging films that I've ever scored, especially all of the sinking of events, you know, the phraseology that has to fit every little moment in those kind of movies. It's really challenging stuff. Um, fortunately for me, in all three of those occasions, I was allowed quite a bit of time to do the writing. I never ended up in a tremors moment with those schedules. I think I, in general, had maybe six to eight weeks to work on all three of those movies, which is pretty comfortable.
And that was the end titles for the 1994 animated feature, A Troll in Central Park, directed by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, with original score performed by the Irish Film Orchestras, with music composed and conducted by Robert Falk. And with that, we've come to the end of the first part of my interview with Dr. Robert Falk. I do hope you enjoyed what you heard so far. I'll leave you with a suite of some more of Robert Falk's animated film music. This time from the 1993 feature, The Thief and the Cobbler, otherwise known as Arabian Night. Directed by Richard Williams, with Robert Falk this time conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. Join us again soon for part two of my interview with Robert Falk, but until then, from me, Jason Drury, take care and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to Public to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.